Welcome to the sixth anniversary show of the Transit Unplugged podcast. I'm your host and producer, Paul Comfort. Before we get to my interview with Randy Clark, head of WMATA, I wanted to reflect on the past six years of doing this podcast. I began the program six years ago with an interview with Bill Carpenter, CEO of the Transit System in Rochester, New York. And while the program has been through several iterations since then, we've remained true to our promise to bring you in-depth interviews with the world's leading public transportation executives and experts, sharing their current projects, plans for the future, and the challenges they've faced along the way, plus a look into their personal lives and career. As we begin our seventh year, we're continuing our focus on bringing you the stories of public transit executives, but we're also going to delve into how they've tackled major decisions and projects, how they turned out, and what they might have done differently. And if you're growing your career in public transportation, you'll hear real career stories, insight, and advice from people leading transit agencies to help you navigate your own transit career. Today's interview with Randy Clark, head of the Washington Metropolitan Area Transportation Authority, or WMATA, is a great example of this unfiltered look behind the scenes at leading a major transit agency. Randy reflects upon his first year as CEO of the transit system in our nation's capital and tells us frankly about the hurdles he's had to overcome, what he's accomplished, but also the looming challenges that lie ahead. Don't forget to stay tuned after my interview with Randy for Mike Bismeyer and his Mike's Minute reflecting on the lessons learned from Randy's interview. Thanks for being with us over these past six years. Let's head boldly into the new year, bringing you great stories, inspirational insights into public transportation here in America and around the world. We are here in your great new Platinum Lead Certified Building, man. Yeah, Paul, good seeing you. <laughs> Welcome to Metro HQ, and uh, happy to be with you today. So I remember I put up a picture on LinkedIn kind of prepping for this interview, and it was the one we took at a conference we were at, and you had just heard that you might be the CEO of this agency, so it was probably a year and a half ago, yeah. the last time we... I saw you in person, had a chance to talk to you. Congratulations on one full year in the job. And thanks, I made Thanks for going to meet. I made it. <laughs> uh, maybe the year, a little, uh, little tarder, uh, a little grayer, maybe I get, but uh, fantastic uh, experience and really proud of uh, being part of the Metro team and uh, really proud of what uh, we've accomplished as an agency in the last year. Really, really delivered. So, uh, you know, really honored to have the job and appreciate the opportunity the board has given me. Yeah. When you got it, I was like, you're the perfect guy. You're the perfect guy for this job. You know, you uh, and you know, I worked here for five years, helping run the paratransit system for MV a while ago. You bring the energy, the vision, and kind of the youthful vigor, which uh, <laughs> which I think was needed right now. So it's great, man. Tell me something about the first year. Give us a wrap up. You know. Yeah. Well, listen. Everyone in the industry is going through challenges. Uh, we probably had maybe the hardest headwinds of every organization in the country. We've had like the same as everyone. COVID recovery big staffing issues. We've hired uh, over 1,200 people in the last year wow. to get our kind of staffing numbers back. Uh, you know, everyone's dealing with uh, ridership. Uh, we're, everyone was dealing with some type of funding. We probably get into that in more detail. Ours is catastrophic. I don't yeah. know that probably a lot of other agencies almost, almost be happy that it's not that bad. Uh, we also had a vehicle fleet issue on our rail fleet, our 7Ks, that, you know, we basically had half of the fleet grounded that we had to get back into service and, and safely uh, get the procedure done to get those back. Uh, you know, we just avoided the federal government shutdown. Today's Monday, so, we're right. first, so that's a unique thing that happens here. 
uh, you know, er er everything that kind of happens happens. We've got to be spinning 15 like, plates, yeah, huh? We've had an enormous amount of public safety issues as a region this year, so around the country, but here, D.C.'s area is pretty bad in the last yeah, year. We had some, uh, some really close-to-home incidents that have hit us there. Um, so, you know, a lot of things piled up, but I will tell you, if you told me where we would be as an agency a little over a year later, uh, I would have taken that deal 10 out of 10 every time. So we are delivering the most rail ser service in the history of the agency right now. The most rail service. Yeah. Okay. Reliability is higher than it's been in years on, on rail, bus, and like elevator escalators. Climb has gone down the last four months, still higher than we want it, but it's going in the right direction finally. Ridership is basically almost doubled in a year. Still down to where, where you want it to be, but it's coming back and it's coming back pretty strong. Last week was our highest ridership week since the pandemic. We can talk probably deeper than that if you want. Uh, we got Silver Line open over at Potomac Yard Station. Yeah, babe, that on was a nice. On a different line um, and, uh, you know, and save money. Uh, saved about $100 million out of our budget. So you put all that I together. I had heard that one, the that, last one. Yeah, well, that's how we, we managed the place pretty well last year. That's and good. Saved $95 million. So you put all that together. Yeah, I'd give that an A. That, that's a perfect <laughs> I, I, I try not to have to get raided. But, I, yeah, like, yeah. you know, I do. Like, my big thing is I wake up and go to bed. You know, I kind of only live this thing, right? I I'm, I'm all in a transit. To yeah. My wife lets me be that way. Uh, but I just sit back and, you know, sometimes take, pinch myself and say, you know, this team is really, really gelled and delivered. Um, you know, and it shows the customer satisfaction. We have the highest customer rail satisfaction since 2013, which ties the highest in the agent's history. That's so awesome. we'll still have some days here and there. Yeah. You know, we still got lots of things to improve and work on. But I think it's undeniable where the agency is right now is in a pretty good shape, and customers seem to be responding well to that. So, uh, you know, we got to keep the money alive to uh, keep all this going, which is a whole different ballgame. But uh, yeah, I feel pretty good after one year. What surprised you the most coming from Cat Metro, where you were CEO down in Austin? I guess that there's a biggest surprise for me. I knew we were in the fishbowl here, <laughs> but to the extent of that, might have been even more than I realized. So, like, something that happens here is is amplified or magnified at a level that would not be the same as if it happened somewhere else. And, right. And that could be Boston, New York, Philly, You're Chicago. in the nation's capital. Yeah, man. and yeah. FTA and FRA ride our system, and GSB's on our system, <laughs> members of Congress on our system. I give random text messages sometimes for little little things from very high-ranking people. I bet you. Uh, but to me, that's... So that, that, that most people look at that as the challenge or negative. I look at it as kind of a positive because... Um, you know, it, it makes us perform at a higher level, and I do believe that we we run the best system in the country. I know some some listeners will be, Woo -woo -woo. Yeah. and I don't mean that in a cocky right, way. Right. Way I, I just the, the system itself was designed to be at a high high level. If you can't do the bread and butter well, then nothing really matters at the end of the day. And so the customer experience is bread and butter. They they love the futuristic stuff or even the advanced and stuff, but. They want this stuff to just that the yeah. this today to work well, and that's where the team is probably the most laser focused. How does that's the good. stuff we have work really well for them every day? Let's talk about that. Dig in a little bit. You're adding, you've added a lot more frequency uh, to your system. Talk yep. about how you're improving kind of the blocking and tackling, so to speak, since we're in football season. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you put it all together, frequency is ultimately what matters in transit, right? I mean. We can, around the business, we do a lot of the stuff where we got beautiful colors on buses and trains and other, at the end of the day, people want service. That's what everyone wants. And the more frequency you have, the more people are induced to use it and the ultimate better, uh, you know, connected community you're going to have. So we, we are running a lot of frequency. Like I said, the most trains in the history of the organization. Um, 
we talk about bus in a second because yeah. we're doing a network redesign. But on the rail side, we we really created an all day, all day of week frequency network. Okay. So Metro historically, and I lived here uh, once before. Metro was very, very rush hour centric. Yes. And I mean, great, just incredible. At right. one point, red line was like three minute frequency. Maybe even got that at two and a half at one point. Uh, but very, very rush hour frequency, and then all right during other periods of day, and I would say weekends, not as good. Uh, those would be the words I would use. You know, like weekend frequency of maybe like 15 minutes on a lot of lines, um, maybe 12 on some. Now we're into pretty good rush hour frequency, not as high on certain segments as, as we used to be, but midday evenings and weekends are all much better. So ridership is actually not monolithic, as we all know. And I actually, you know, I've said this kind of publicly, and some people shake their head. I think we're going to look back and say COVID was actually good for the transit industry long term. So I know people are like, what is yes, all of it this reduced stuff? the peak of the peak. Well, and it changed it us from being uh, monolithic, utility-driven on rush hour. Yeah. Acting like a commuter had to look like me with a, with a tie on the way to an office. Right. Everyone that goes to the, deals with the economy is a commuter. So if you go and you work at CBS or you get off at 9 p.m. at night, you are commuting. If you work at a museum in D.C. on Sunday, yeah. you are commuting, yeah. right? And everyone, therefore, is equal. So yeah. we, I think there's too much selling transit historically on congestion mitigation yes. versus the larger his holistic impact to society. So if you look at our ridership, bus, we are above pre-pandemic on weekend. We are now equal to just above on weekend on rail during the week. Bus is about 90% recover uh, where we are right now. And quite frankly, if we had a little bit more service, we'd probably be pretty close to 100% because we're leaving people on the curb at certain, especially PM rush, we are we do no not room. have enough bus yeah. on our biggest corridors to carry them all right now. And then on the rail side, we are definitely not where we want to be yet on weekday, but it's coming back. So last week, the week before, we've had our highest 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. You know, one-hour rushes. So uh, directionally, we're going we're going in the right way. Um, you know, we just got to keep delivering because you got that reliability built in. So, you know, the, the challenge we're going to have is this fiscal thing coming up here. Yeah, let's talk about like, that. What's going on there? Yeah, so we projected a seven hundred fifty million dollar deficit. So that just so everyone gets that right, a one year deficit. One year, seven hundred fifty. What's million your total operate. budget? So operations about two point five billion. Capital is two point five. So about five billion total. Okay. Right. We have a seven hundred fifty million dollar operating deficit. That's that's bigger than outside of like, I don't know, 10, 15, yes. agencies, 20 agencies of the country. Right. That's the entire budget. Yeah. That's just our operating deficit, right? So maybe explain why that is that you don't have a dedicated funding source not, there. No, it's pretty weird. It, I know you can't say it, but no, I can I, say it. I can say it. <laughs> it's can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, people will say there's dedication to some of the funding streams, and they are correct. So, some, depending on the jurisdiction, there is legal kind of framework about those sources go to go to fund transit, but they don't go to Metro. They go to right. someone to that person yeah. that gives it to Metro. And and so we have a lot of layers here. It's like lasagna, right? Uh -huh. uh, Virginia has lasagna a, funding package. Yeah, yeah. And, and governance and how it's all worked. Yeah. So there's a lot of um, appointments to the board uh, from a funding jurisdiction versus right. the board. Uh, the board is fantastic, by the way. I couldn't. And one of our board, actually our board chair is getting NAPTA board member of the year, Paul oh, Schmidberg. Nice. So we have a great board, uh, but it is politically very challenging, and it's been kind of set up this way since 60, 1967. Yeah. And everyone kind of knows it's a challenge because Metro really has none of its own funding and therefore doesn't have really good, like we don't have our own operating reserve. Doesn't make sense. Right. Right. I'd like to get into multi-year budgeting. 
we, we can't do that. Right. Everything we do is have to go to a jurisdiction every year yeah. and say, yeah. here's what we'd like to yeah, do. Yeah, hat in hand. Unlike Texas, where there's a dedicated tax that you can kind of count on every year. For sure, or yeah. L.A. or Atlanta. Right. So if you went down to Atlanta right now, they don't have the same crisis that we have because they can have more predictability and then manage workforce development, manage capital, manage operating based on that. So to me, I, it's not so much we need our own money. I do. I, I Logically, I do think there is a lot of value in that. Uh, but I think it's the predictability part. Yeah. That's the word yeah. that matters most. And right now, we don't have good predictability line of sight on what the funding is. So then you get to a deficit by three sources for us. Okay. One, we gave a jurisdictional credit. So we actually gave money back to the jurisdictions in the first year of the COVID crisis um, because we had some federal money and they didn't before they got their money. And then that wasn't kind of refunded. So that caused a little bit of a you know, problem. Two, we ran out of a massive amount. You know, we were us, bar. New York were such fair recovery-based systems. Yeah, big. So we lost all of that for a multiple years straight. Okay. And it is, as it's coming back, we have one employer in this region. Our largest employer is the federal government. And we have a lot of people that don't seem to want to return to an office in Oh, yeah, right. Uh, despite some pushes from the most powerful person in the world. Um, so those trips used to be funded by smart trips, so federal benefit. And therefore, that made up a lot of revenue for us as well. And then, obviously, inflation just crushed us, yeah. especially our um, collective bargaining agreement. Uh, is, it had cost of living adjustments. So the last couple of years, a lot of our uh, frontline staff specifically got really significant increases. And that, by the way, good for them. That, that's right. what the contract was. But you put those three things together, enormous pressure. So your, uh, your other three areas of funding, you, you, you went through all of them. So where are you at now? Let's project, okay, we're in September yeah. of... Uh, Actually, we're in October, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're in October of 2023. What's going to happen next for your budget and all yeah, that? Yeah, it's a rough challenge. So I'm going to do uh, general manager's proposed budget to the board public and the public in December. Okay. Uh, we do have some savings from last year. That'll take it down a little bit. Uh, we have a, a cost efficiency task force that I think we could save about $50 million a year. Uh, annual, uh, you know, reoccurring. So that's good. Okay. We are, we think the inflation numbers are coming down a bit. That matters a lot for our cost escalation on labor. So we have a little savings there. Uh, we're probably gonna, you know, this, I don't want to get a, get a thought of that there's, there's no decision made, but I'm pretty sure we're going to use a higher level of FTA preventive maintenance funding and op use operations on some of that. Uh, that could be worth at a part of 300 plus million for the, our agency size. Uh, but even if we do all of these things, I, you know, might get the deficit down to 300. We're going to play around with a little bit on fares. We're going to with that later this month and, and some service efficiencies. I'm going to do everything like humanly can to protect service. Yes. Period. Uh, and especially frequency. The second you start cutting into frequency, it starts. Right. Uh, and it's pretty hard to get it that, back. That death spiral. Yeah. <laughs> and even people go, well, it's not a death spiral. It's just one ring. Well, then that ring might take six years to get to that service level back. And again, if everyone's using the system differently now, what ring am I supposed to cut? Yeah. Now we think we have a couple small efficiencies that we you know like uh, like let's not ride eight car trains. Let's run some sixes over here. Do, but those are you know five, ten, fifty, yeah. kind of million dollar things around the edge. Five, yeah. So we're gonna have two budgets proposed. Uh, we need a legislative cap in Maryland and Virginia. So further complication. Virginia and Maryland have a law that says our funding, their funding to us can't grow by more than three percent base a year. Really? Yep. So now they have to legally change those laws in both states to give us the money. Their legislative cycle start in January. So right. the earliest we'd even know if that's done would probably be the end of March into April. Yep. I'm already told publicly that we'll probably have to do a hiring freeze starting in January and potential layoff notices in January. 
So all the good work that we've kind of pulled off in the last year, we could uh, get into a pretty bad divot uh, yeah. on that and then start the grading service next. Just as spring is our busiest time here, we expect back up to at least 500000 on rail. So just as we're really starting to kick again, <laughs> you know, we might have to start cutting trips and laying people off. So, yeah, we got a big challenge in front yeah. of us. Uh, and then the capital program, if we use that operating to prevent a maintenance money, it kind of uh, impacts the capital program and drags that in earlier. So we're looking at the capital program only having two or three years left to do the, you know, a lot of our big additional projects. So this will impact our new trains, zero emission program, some other things like that. So, yeah, like I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we're going to keep delivering, we got to keep working on efficiencies, every single piece that we can modernize here. That's my biggest effort. I'm into modernization, right? Yeah. And modernization is not just IT stuff, although there's a big part of that. It's modernizing the organization to be uh, as cost efficient as possible. I want to get to driverless trains. That's not, that's not anti-union. I'm, I'm, I have a great relationship with the union. Um, but listen, this has been done all over the world. We're late to the game yeah. in America, and we're the system that's perfectly set yeah. up to do yeah. so. And you had fare box evasion, right? Oh. You have a lot of fare evasion, like forty million or something. Yeah, I estimated it'd probably go forty million. Yeah. So that's no fare evasion. I won't lie to you. Last summer, I was like, "What is going on?" Yeah. Like this used to be a pretty rules based place, and it just kind of COVID got out of control for all over America. And listen, let's just be frank. There's a group of people in society that just turned into jerks. Um, COVID just rip the Band-Aid off of stability and hopefully yeah. get that Band-Aid back right. on. Yeah. Um, and fare evasion. So, like, and I want to separate a policy discussion about fares okay. versus enforcement. Yes. So, if you have a policy dis discussion and uh, an agency or region, jurisdictions, whatever, make a decision that, hey, we want to go fare-free or some other, great, that's a mature policy discussion, and then you then set up your system for that. That's different that we have rules and no one wants to follow them. Right. So until someone comes up with a policy framework that is different, my job is to enforce the rules we have. So what we did, and I'm proud of this, we set up a low-income fare program, first in the agency's history, a regional program. Oh, wow. So if you're on SNAP, you immediately get 50% uh, discount on fares. We've already signed up, I think, better part of 5,000 people in the area. And the goal here is if you really need assistance, we're here to help you. Yeah. Everyone else, pay your fare. Right. And so we're going to enforce that. So uh, citations up 500% so far this year. Um, you know, that um, we also have reinforced all of our gates with this new kind of material. Now, it looks clear, so people think it's like getting easy to get through. You can't get through it. It's really sitting <laughs> You're not going to jump the turnstile. Yeah, huh? That's right. So we've, we've now done 10 stations, um, you know, and we'll have them all done by, by next summer. But the, the first 10 including places where there's a ton of fare evasion and places where there wasn't much because we wanted to test in different ways. Uh, every every station, we're down between 70 and 90% reduction in fare evasion with the new gates. Really? Yep. Uh, so, great. It worked. So police have been empowered to do their job. Gates, are, gates have been uh, put in to stop people. We're never going to be at zero, right? Right. And, and, right. and I'm not going to chase the zero. That's the wrong yeah. thing to chase. But uh, we, I, we, we got it under pretty good conditions at this point. You mentioned earlier that you're going to a bus route reoptimization plan. Yeah. Can you talk to that for a minute? Yeah, better bus. Uh, so, you know, you went through one uh, yeah. link up in Baltimore. That's right. Yeah. That's kind of the model a lot of people have used. Uh, I, I did want to get a cap metro with Dottie and the team. Turned out fantastic down there. Ridership increased and we got better cost efficiency per, per mile per trip. Uh, we need to do that desperately here. Routes haven't really changed in like 40 years. Yep. And uh, it's been kind of kicked around a lot. The team has done a fantastic job in the last... We took like a three-year project, and I basically told him you got about a year, and 
We're, we got all the maps done. We got a lot of Good. community engagement. Our challenge now is how do you implement something when we want to implement for next July 1st, but July 1st next year is our new budget year and we have no idea how we're... So how do you implement a new bus network That's at the same crazy. time you might lay people off? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. It's going to be like Denver was where they couldn't do their new thing because they didn't have so we don't people. Know, yeah. So we don't know what to kind of do there. Um, so we are probably going to be not be able to implement um, on that, but we're not quite sure yet. We'd love to because it actually in, increases efficiency of the network. Yeah, yeah. And it actually drives more ridership. But I can't do that while I'm also potentially laying people off. So, uh, you know, there's a, this... We're into a really challenging year here in Memphis, yeah. for sure. There's yeah. so many initiatives happening at once, and they all have to kind of work together. So tomorrow, uh, I'm going out to Dulles, and we're going to celebrate our millionth customer at Dulles. Boom. So since November, we've had a million people use Dulles Airport. Dulles Airport is the fastest-growing airport in the country for international flights. And the number one reason the airlines and the airport saying is because we have the new silver line to the airport. Really? Yeah. So that's awesome. So that's why I, I, you know, I'm relatively optimistic about the funding stuff. All, all rational thoughts should be not. <laughs> but maybe it's my what you call it, young, young yeah. energy or whatever. <laughs> the not, vigor, vigor, or it's my naivete. Um, but I don't believe we're going to have a rail line that took 40 years to get to Dallas Airport, and then we're going to not yeah. run trains to it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're not going to run trains to the Pentagon. Oh, we're not going to run trains to DCA, Come on, on and on. So yeah. I think we're going to get there. But um, yeah, so that, that's how all this fleet is coming together and lots of good stuff. All right. Now let's talk about a tough issue for a couple minutes, and that's crime. Mm. Uh, crime has really been hitting. You see it uh, in the papers in New York and L.A. a lot in Chicago, but here too? Oh, no question. Yeah. Uh, D.C., uh, I think, is at the highest murder rate this year. It's been since maybe 2013-ish, okay. something like that. It's It's been a really bad time in the region. And it's not just in D.C. The, it's all like the suburbs. The uh, part of this, too, if you look around the country, places that kind of came out of COVID had a year, year and a half, a lot of violence. We came out of COVID probably last of every city in the country. You know, we're Right. It was much more cautious here, NIH is here, lots of reasons for that. That's I'm not judging good or bad, I just just yes, factually. Uh, so, you know, there's been this big spike of violence. Lots of uh, really sad, a lot of young people, guns everywhere, mm. um, a lot of teenagers killing each other. Um, it's been re real sad. Just this last week, we had uh, uh, another big batch of shooting. So, I, I will tell you, on the transit system, we have had a, a challenging year. Crime is going down now the last four months. Uh, we have a really good chief. We put all of our officers. We've hired uh, 100 armed security guards in the system every day as well. Plus, we have MOUs with five other police departments to do patrols in our system with our officers. We, we have police everywhere. I brought, just like I did in Austin, crisis intervention specialists. So yeah. we have like social worker style individuals out dealing with you know, people that might have some issues out on the system. And they've done some really good stuff to help people, you know, whether people are thinking of suicide or other things. That has been good. We got a we have over 30,000 video assets at the agency, and we're doing some interesting stuff. With, doing uh, AI, analyzing. Yeah, we and yeah. some other stuff we're working on there. That's good. Uh, but crime has been bad. Um, you know, we've had, we had a, probably, hands down, the most tragic day I've had in my in my entire career. We had one of our electricians at a station. Uh, we have, there was a guy with a gun. He was, sh he was shooting multiple people. We had an electrician, grabbed him, tried to subdue him. Unfortunately, uh, hmm. that our, our employee got shot and killed uh, in front of uh, his partner and other people. Uh, so heroic act by our employee. Um, so that was incredibly sad yeah. and horrible situation. I will say, 
I've never seen a region rally around a transit authority more like that. Um, people really came out to support the family and support the organization. Uh, and our team, we were worried, a good example, we were worried the next day that people might not come into work. We never had any, like no one didn't show up. It was, you know, so people rallied as an organization. That's wonderful. But there's been, but uh, I think we've had five murders on the system since I've had the job. Hmm. Um, but you know, luckily we think we're going in the right direction now that the spike is seemingly to die off. But as a region, as a country, you know, a lot of us as CEOs, we get together or other. These are topics that are not transit topics, right? right? I mean, what am I or whoever runs a system supposed to do? We have a, we have a national gun crisis and a national lack of civility crisis. And we are just, we're just uh, the blood that runs through, um, you know, or the arteries that run through uh, a good community with yeah. transit. Yeah. So we are not immune for that kind of getting on to us from time to time. So we're doing everything we possibly can. But at a certain point, you know, this is a much larger conversation that, and it's, it does hurt ridership. There's yeah. no getting around it. It, right. hurts, it hurts morale and it hurts, um, you know, the employees that work at these agencies. I, I, I had a, one of my stage managers the other day was dealing with someone with a mental kind of breakdown, you know, having a really tough time. And she's crying, comes over to me, gives me a hug. And I hug her. I'm like, like you, you, I, you know, my frontline staff, just like around the industry, we got incredible people who work in this industry. And a lot of people that have certain jobs and offices around the country don't realize that we are first responders every day and deal with a lot of a lot of stuff that they don't see. So uh, just a really proud of, of, the, of the people that work here and around the industry uh, going through a lot of difficult times. Thanks. Sounds like you're on the right path. All right. One more question. That's sure. from Brett Spellbring, good friend of mine who used to run the radio shop in Baltimore at the MTA. Oh, I right hired right. him there. Yeah. Oh. Now he's down in Texas working for a camera company. He says, what do you enjoy most in your day-to-day life in transit? Yeah. Hey, that's a, so, well, like I'm on the system every day. I've had, I don't know, 600 plus. Yeah. You ride to work, right? Every, yeah. Every yeah. day. And on the weekends, my wife, yeah. they take a bus to day. Like, that's just what we do. Right. So I, I guess I'll give a thematic and then like a, a okay. for lack of better. So thematically, it's I really like when good policy is like making a place better. And so what I mean by that is like when transit works well, no one should be talking about it. It's just this yeah. quiet thing in the background, right? Like so, like we make tons of noise here at Metro, and like I told people, my job was to make Metro boring. And people are like, oh, oh, that's funny, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm serious, right? Yeah. Like, because if it's well functioning, people are not, they're just, and that's the way it should be. People should be able to count on us and go about their life. And that means good policy, because then when it's working well, that leads to better housing policy, education policy, it leads to wellness, leads to a bunch of other things, right? So I just like what we do as, a, as an industry. I think it's a me, like, I, I think what we do as an industry is as meaningful as almost anything there is Absolutely. in the public space, yes. right? It's also why I would, you know, I know you got a lot of listeners. I would say a transit CEO, a police chief, and a school superintendent, arguably the three hardest public sector jobs in America because they are so meaningful, uh, those kind of three places. So that's on the thematic. On the personal, I just love getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's that's who I am. That's how I'm cut. My parents grew up as entrepreneurs running a construction company. People in Austin that work with me. People in Boston. People in the industry. They uh, people here. I come in. You know, some people joke like high energy tornadic. That's who I am every single day. And so therefore, to me, that's not tornadic. Right? Tornadics right. come and go. I've been doing this this way for like a long, long time. And I'm always hopefully going to be this way, which is I live on a sense of urgency every day. Now, urgency doesn't mean 
easily distracted away from prioritization and being strategic. Urgency means what we do really matters and we gotta be good at it and we gotta continue to move that needle. So I love getting things done and the best pride I have is seeing other people that I work with really proud of them getting getting self done. Cause when because to me, our leadership management is like us getting in the room and laying things out. Leadership is about getting a group of people that can work together to get more done than they believe they could get done. And when that happens, you move the needle or you move the threshold a little bit more and a little bit more, right? Because most people you ask, they're gonna say, can you do X? They're gonna say, I can do Y. And then once they prove they can do X, then they can do this and this and this and this. Momentum is, is really infectious when yes. people are proud of what they do and work well together. So probably the best thing I feel about the last year is we have a team We've done surveys that internally prove it. The pride of the organization has come back pretty significantly. And where people feel good about coming to work and about what they do, they're willing to work hard and they're willing to work collaboratively and really get stuff done. You know, a good friend, uh, you know, Ray Mullaney. Oh, yeah. Right? So he's a friend of mine just like yours. Uh, he and I use this term all the time, and, you know, I'll be the PG version of this. But, okay. like, I always say, what I like to be surrounded with pe people are people that have gas, give a sh and if you come in every day and do that, and if you make a mistake, that's okay. Because if you're making zero mistakes, yeah, you're not, you're try not trying, it, it, yeah. right? So we need some risk tolerance in our industry. I think we've been too risk intolerant as an industry for a long time. So I really want to empower, I think my job is just that, to empower people to work together, try hard, and uh, if you make a mistake, we got you back, and we'll just grow and learn from it instead of worrying about never making a mistake. So. Anyway, sorry, I don't know no, if that's, that's the way good. you want to end that, but that is good. Uh, yeah. but to me, I just we're we're a great industry with great people. We gotta get people fired up about what we're doing. Well, we can't wait to see what you're gonna do next. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just want hey, it's what time is it? Yeah. I got the PM rush hour two hours. <laughs> that's so right. I'm, I'm, yeah, you're always finished your latest rush hour. All right, I'm that prize too. So, yeah. Randy yeah. Clark, CEO and general manager of Washington Metropolitan Area Transportation Authority. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Good seeing you again. Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about leadership, mentorship, and kindness with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. First and foremost, congratulations to Paul and the entire Transit Unplugged team on your six-year anniversary. Truly fantastic, and I'm truly humbled to have been a regular contributor myself for the past three and a half years. And what a way to celebrate with one of our industry leaders and always great guests, Randy Clark. When we talk leadership and transit, Randy quickly comes to mind. It has been great over the years to watch him at different agencies and through many panel discussions, conference sharing, sharing his insights and his visions, his day-to-day -day habits, and most of all, the valuable lessons he's learned. You don't have to listen long to understand that the many hats that our great leaders and mentors wear, and try to juggle for that matter. As Randy rattled off many of the day-to-day -day challenges he faces, many are consistent at agencies across North America, albeit just at different scales. Staffing, ridership, public and operator safety, funding, and service reliability. They all sound familiar, right? Of course they do. But what is also familiar is the passion and vigor in which our leaders pursue these issues at every agency and apply the lessons learned, build dynamic teams, and get the vision complete. I like Randy's comment on surrounding yourself with people that get stuff done. In my 15 plus years in transit, I've been privileged to be both surrounded by and have learned from many of the doers and folks getting stuff done. There are challenges every day, but peer-to-peer -peer sharing, communication, and belief in your team 
allow us daily successes to help keep our teams motivated. And again, driving the point home that leadership is both mentorship and kindness in action. Actions that propel the betterment of our industry for sure. I look forward to seeing everyone at CUDA in early November, where I will have the honor of participating on a leadership panel with Paul, discussing more industry leadership and kindness traits in our industry. Thanks for listening. Kindness is cool. Have a great day. Hi, this is Tris Hussey, editor of Transit Unplugged. Thank you for listening to this kickoff to season seven with our guest, Randy Clark. Really hope you enjoyed this special interview. Now, coming up next week on the show, we have part two of our live CEO roundtable recorded at APTA last month. In part two of the roundtable, you'll hear from each CEO about what projects they have going on at their agencies and some of the things they're most proud of right now. While you're listening to the podcast, could you do us a favor? Take a moment and rate and review Transit Unplugged wherever you listen to podcasts. Rating and reviewing the show helps other people find Transit Unplugged and become part of our transit enthusiast community. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the show, feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. Transit Unplugged is brought to you by Medaxo. At Medaxo, we're passionate about moving the world's people. And at Transit Unplugged, we're passionate about telling those stories. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.